Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, the legend, the absolute legend of all Boston sports. Forget Tom Brady. Forget Julian Edelman. Forget Larry Bird. It's Matt Penny. He is here. The UMass legend himself. We are going to talk uh, about some overreactions that we have from the first week of the college basketball season. Matt, how are you doing? My intros keep getting better. Uh, I'm doing great. A lot of basketball to watch can be overwhelming to try to catch up on and watch all these guys that were kind of slotting for the draft, but it's already crazy. We have Bill Walton interviewing Bruce Hornsby for an entire half of an Indiana game. We have TV Teddy Valentine assessing technicals on everybody, us included. So we're we're right in the middle of it now. We're in the thick of it. There's going to be conference play before we can blink twice. So can, can we talk about the officiating real quick? Because... A lot of whistles, yeah. I think the officiating is worse to start this year. Like every year at the beginning of the year, you can expect a lot of whistles. You can expect a lot of quote unquote points of emphasis or whatever the bullshit reason that they give for calling fouls, right? It is worse this year than anything I can remember. There are, there have been more absolutely abjectly fucking terrible technical foul calls than I have ever seen in my life. The NCAA needs to get its officiating shit together so far because this is disgraceful so far. The vitriol is out early for you. I there has been some like it seems like there's been a lot of a lot of whistles, a lot of ticky tack fouls. You've had a lot of quote unquote stars been in foul trouble and fouled out. The the Zaire one, the technical that Teddy Valentine gave to him was definitely crazy. I want to give refs a, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, just like we're seeing these freshman stars and freshman laden teams take time to adjust. They got to shake off the refs, rust of the refs too. So I, I'm hoping within three weeks we're all kind of hitting our stride. Thus far, it's been it's been shaky for so everybody. Like, I totally get that. Like, look, referees aren't perfect human beings. I get that, but we do this every year, right? We talk about how bad the officiating is in college basketball every year. And I'm done. Like, I'm just done with it at this stage. Like, I'm done catering to like being Mr. Nice Guy with when it comes to the officiating. Like, every single other media person in college basketball seems to, right? Like, the officiating in college basketball is abysmally bad. The NCAA needs to make it a priority to improve it. That is what it comes down to. I don't even really blame Ted Valentine, uh, although I do kind of blame Ted Valentine because Ted Valentine, uh, I think, wants to involve himself in the action more than other officials. Uh, I don't blame John Higgins is maybe a better one because John Higgins has a fucking roofing company in addition to being <laughs> an official, right? Right, right. The NCAA, about the extra roofs that he's trying to do in a pandemic and the price of lumber is going up, and yeah, he's got bills too. Well, like the NCAA makes enough money to buy out officials, period. Like they could pay officials six figures, very simply. You couldn't pay every official six figures, but you could pay enough officials well into six figures and make it so that 
they are living a comfortable life as they travel around the country and then also make it so that they're not overworking themselves having to travel around the country because that's another issue that officials have in general. I don't blame the individual officials. I blame the institution of the NCAA for creating a system that leads to poor officiating. We need to get officials better training. We need to get officials uh, better life circumstances basically to where they're just full-time officials this is is like a public service announcement yeah it is this is like the 32nd lead-in before we do like the next game of maui it is i'm just done with it like every year people make excuses for officials oh yeah like they have to uh jump in and they have to uh you know they're warming up early in the season just like everyone else is no i'm done we need to prioritize officiating in college basketball because a lot of these games so far look in part they've been unwatchable because it is early in a pandemic ridden season but a big part of it too is that officials have just fucking taken guys off the court when they don't have to take guys off the court like the marquette oklahoma state game uh from what on tuesday they call theo john for just like tapping the ball out of the rim for a technical foul and that's his fourth foul. And Marquette has to take him off the court for six minutes. And Oklahoma State goes on this massive run. Marquette, the entirety of what they were doing to defend Cade Cunningham involved Theo John and these guards being able to collapse down on him and being able to uh, be an athlete in help whenever Cade Cunningham drove. So it just there have been too many games already this year where officials have completely altered the shape and trajectory of the game. And like the Gonzaga West Virginia game, Oscar Shibway fouls out of that game with what, like eight minutes left. Yeah. Pretty early. Those, those third and fourth fouls on him were terrible. Like they were not really fouls. The fifth one was a bad decision on his part. And he's got to own that. Like you can't go into someone's back in transition, uh, Whenever that guy is going up for an easy dunk, you got to let that one slide and he deserves accountability for making a bad choice. But the officials put him in that position with the poor third and fourth fouls. Yeah, they had I was watching the Marquette game. I I had the sound off. I don't even know why. And I had to put the sound back on because I didn't know what that call was. And Greg Brown had some bad ones in that Texas game. Zaire Williams had, I think, a couple early. Did he foul out last game? trying to remember well, the, i think he did i think he filed out pretty early and uh, uh, just two or three of the calls could have gone either way i'm not going to be the the middle ground i, I feel like you're very you're, you're on this side of the wall or that side of the wall with, with refs right now and i don't I'm, know how we got here i'm just I'm irritated just for, for me it. like yeah I, you can be irritated they're they're also human beings like if you're saying a guy's running a roofing company he doesn't have like the whistle up on the roof like in between putting up shingles and stuff like he's got to get back to to speed and pace too so and there's not this group of like international super refs that we're sitting on either your guys are like kind of your guys no i know and like like i said like i'm not blaming like the individual refs here like yeah they should take You're accountability the for institution of four calls. Yeah, I right. think it's the yeah. institution that the NCAA provides that ultimately results in officials being overworked and being undertrained at the end of the day, period. That's that's where we're at with college basketball, and it needs to be fixed. It absolutely just needs to be fixed. Uh, to talk about happier things, Penny, uh, oh, 
how's it going in Massachusetts right now? I mean, it's got to be snowy. It's, it's got to no. be miserable, right? It's not. The the Christmas tree's up in the house downstairs. The lights are up. But no, it's no snow. It's it's decent. I, I can't complain right now. It's going to hit. When it hits, it'll hit. But it's not the the sunny shores of Australia like you've done and moved and unpacking your, your boxes of things as, as you've discussed with us. Well, yeah, no, I, I'm very excited. Like within the last hour before Penny and I started podcasting here, I received the 12 boxes that I sent to Australia. Uh, whenever I moved, I've been here for six weeks now. We finally just got our shit. Uh, that means that I have sneakers to wear again, which is great. What were you wearing before that? Were you like sorry, Crocs for the last like month and a half? So like I brought game theory Crocs. I brought like three pair of sneakers that I've been like rotating around uh, i probably okay. have like 40 pair or so that i tend to i, I like to have options matt I, I like to i like to be able to mix and match depending on what i'm wearing and i haven't been able to do that for the last six weeks it's been just the the worst experience of my uh, entire adult life let me tell you <laughs> if that's the worst your your life's pretty dandy <laughs> but i'm glad you can now complete your outfit and match your shoes to your whatever your jeans and your zip i I don't know what the weather is out there i'm not even gonna make a temperature joke but i'm glad you feel more complete because your mind's gotta be in the right place with with college basketball with overreactions with we still have so much to play and i feel like a lot of people have already made their final thoughts on what the draft should look like where teams are going gonzaga's the best team of all time duke and kentucky are struggling they're never coming back so we're we're all over the map right now so in that vein, my first overreaction is just going to be a simple one. Have you have you watched the happiest season yet, uh, Matt Penny on Hulu? I have not. You always you always quiz me with this. I'm stuck on like season three of Dexter. Like I'm slowly I'm trying to watch a game or two a night and then sneak in like an, an old episode or something. So no, I'm I have not yet. It's a delightful Christmas movie, and I, I would say that uh, happiest season after having watched it once is one of my favorite holiday movies of all time just straight up i think it is so fun and funny and endearing and it is uh it features just so many people that i love like kristen stewart and mackenzie davis and dan levy and uh there's just such an enjoyable uh funness to it i would recommend it matt penny yeah i shared with my friends on on thanksgiving day I kind of had to barter to watch Gonzaga, Kansas, and then Villanova (laughs) was playing later. So it was Gonzaga, Kansas. We ate. And then like I had a little bit of a window and I played, you know, good cop, good husband and said, yeah, let's put on a movie. So we watched the holiday. Um, It was something. It was a movie. You know, it was Christmassy. (laughs) And then uh, I was able to watch Villanova without any complaints. Yeah. Pick your spots. The the next one for you and your wife should be happiest season. It's very good. Okay. On the list. Um, so for your wait for Thanksgiving, what do you do? Do you have friends over or do you go somewhere? No, 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 no. We just we're at her uh, just at her mother in law's. My oh. mother in law, not her mother in law. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say uh, we should. Uh, it wasn't my TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you were uh, you were you were in a weird spot there. <laughs> weird enough. You, yeah, you weren't able to control what you were planning to watch. No, again, it's it's not your clicker, it's not your house, it's not your your domain. So to to push two college basketball games at an in-laws during a a pandemic 
In the middle, there's got to be a sandwich of something that's a crowd pleaser, despite there only being four other people there. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, we got sidetracked one more time here. You call it a clicker? Yeah, it's clicker. What, do you call it remote control? Remote. Oh, uh, yeah, clicker. It, it probably sounds terrible with my Boston accent. Now my son just watches trucks on YouTube and says, clicker, clicker. But yeah, clicker here. <laughs> Oh my god, I love that so much. We're losing, uh, okay. we're losing listens by the second. Like, who? Like, what are these guys talking about? Let's get to let's get to overreactions. I think people like uh, hearing us bullshit back and forth. Uh, there's there's plenty of that. <sighs> so we've already started with my first overreaction that happiest season is one of my favorite <laughs> holiday <laughs> that, that movies. That was the ever. start. Okay, good. Yeah, and. The structure of this podcast is going to be that one of us is going to say something, I don't know, like, I don't know if outlandish is the right word, but we're going to purposefully overreact to something that we've seen thus far in the first week and two days of college basketball. And it's almost certainly all going to be NBA draft related. Maybe a couple of things are not NBA draft related. Like we might talk about Gonzaga at some point just in more general terms. But we're then going to discuss that overreaction and whether or not it is reasonable or not reasonable. Uh, Matt, I will give you the floor now that I've given my first one. Okay. I also kind of want to preface and say that this isn't necessarily like yours or mine. Like we might defend it or debate it the other way, but just kind of something that's, in popular-ish opinion based on literally three basketball games. Yeah, so, as people who listen to this know, the two of us are not really prone to overreacting to things in general. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're basically going to use this model as a way to discuss uh, things that you know people are reacting to and yelling about uh, within college basketball. Yeah, so I'll present, maybe you give your your deal, I'll give my deal, then we'll yell at each other some more. So my first overreaction is Kentucky will finish the season outside the top 10, buy or sell. Ooh, so this is sell, because one of okay. mine was that Kentucky is still a top 10 team for me, and I'm not worried okay, about the perfect. two losses. Uh, they might not be a top 10 team right now, but that they will finish as a top 10 team. Uh I absolutely sell that. I would love to hear your reasoning on why you're as concerned as you are about Kentucky. My first concern is shooting, as we saw, yeah. or lack thereof, I'd say. I mean, through three games, the team is 9 for 47. We've talked about Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston is supposed to be, like, the real anchors of the team. They're 0 for 19. And even, like, the whole Champions Classic, like Jeff Borzello tweeted this the other day, two games, the teams were 18 for 85. And when your two best players are 0 for 19, you need to space the floor a little bit, you're going to struggle. And John Calipari postgame said, I think we've got a good three-point shooting team. We're just not making them right now. And that was like the, the clippy kind of quote he had. But the rest of the quote, I think, kind of ties it a little bit more together because they have a really young team. They have 11 new guys. The only returner, I believe, is Keon Brooks, and he's not even playing yet. So the the rest of the quote was, it could be the pressure. These kids have never been in this situation. It means more. You're playing with headphones on and gloves on and shooting the ball. Now, all of a sudden, this thing is different. A guy's hanging on you. You're playing with a guy that's four years older than you, and the guy's up in you. It's a different deal, and it gets it takes time to get used to. 
So I think that a lot of people in general kind of underestimate how many college kids come to college not being high level shooters, right? Like there are very, very few players who enter college basketball who could knock down 38 to 42 percent of their threes as someone who works on the grassroots level uh, i'm sure you would agree with that right certainly I, it's just more so alarming when it's over 19 for your your two studs the first three games that that's the biggest red flag and you don't see it necessarily with other guys like oh that's going to be the one who really starts knocking down shots and space in the floor when they're both known as pretty much more pull up slashing, get more stuff toward the rim. And they're just going to see a lot of defenses pack it in or go zone and go under his ball screens and dare him to shoot and make plays. So the big thing that I think that they're going to have to do is they're going to have to play a lot more Davion mints. Uh, totally. mints yeah. I think can actually shoot. And frankly, I think mints is a better option right now than Devin Askew. Uh, just kind of on both ends of the floor he's a little bit more reliable as a decision maker uh and a little bit uh better of a i don't want to say he's a better defender because i think Devin does work hard on that end but i think he's a smarter defender from what i've seen so far at this level uh tying him to terrence clark and brandon boston i think would really help another thing that i think would help the spacing is playing i, I don't know why they're not playing dante allen more uh, frankly, like Dante Allen can actually shoot. And I think he's looked better than all of Lance Ware, Cameron Fletcher, Devin Askew, and Jacob Toppin so far in the mm-hmm. limited minutes that he's gotten. Like, I, I would just like to see Dante Allen play more. He fits and he's just kind of playing better than those guys. And I think that playing those two with Terrence Clark and Brandon Boston would really help. They're obviously going to play one of Sar or Jackson. Like, I would probably not play those two a ton together together personally uh but obviously i understand that it's hard to have two of your five most talented players like not necessarily on the court all the time right um but the big thing that i would do is i would put the ball more in terrence clark and bj boston's hands as opposed to using them to kind of run off of, you know, pin downs and ball screen or uh, off ball screening actions and things like that. Because yeah, similar, similar thought too. I mean, they had yeah. 37 turnovers the last two games. So it's like, you got to shore up your point guard stuff. You talked about it. Like Devin asked you reclassified up a class and just the adjustments taken a, a little bit longer, despite it only being a couple games. I like turns Clark played the point some, but he's kind of had his most success on those like side post ISOs, like the shoulder. Yeah. And you don't want to like remove that offense if the three is not falling either. But it's, it's how do you also get BJ Boston going? How do you crank him up with a, a little more energy, a little bit more motion? He was like four of 13 that last game. He, he's just so even keeled. Like even when the Kansas game, he went down the middle of the lane and he dunked on Agbaji's head. And he kind of like tapped his head twice and, and went back on defense. You just kind of want to see a little bit more, I guess, just energy between them as a group. And I don't want to necessarily negate their offense by saying Terrence Clark's the point guard, but like that may be the set that brings you the most success. Yeah. And 
I don't, whenever you play Terrence Clark with Davion Mintz, who is, you know, ostensibly a point guard at the end of the day, I don't think you're necessarily taking those, you know, mid post attacking plays out of the playbook for Terrence Clark either. I think that by putting the ball in Terrence Clark's hands, you're kind of just artificially helping with your spacing because Terrence Clark is so much more athletic than just about every person that any team is going to put in front of them or in front of him that they have to play him straight up when he's on the ball. You can't really sag off of him because if you sag off of him, you're going to give him an angle and he is just going to beat you to the spot at the end of the day, right? Unless you're Marcus Garrett, he just like ate alive their Euro steps. He read the scouting report so hard and they did a Euro yeah. step and it was like running into a brick wall. But yeah, Terrence is very creative off the dribble. And when he gets in the lane, he'll jump stop. He'll look opposite. You just need those guys opposite to catch and shoot and knock down stuff. So that weak side defender is going to have to make a decision. Is he going to close out or is Isaiah Jackson going to be in the quote unquote dunk spot and you're throwing at the rim and you're dunking and, and using his length and athleticism to get easy baskets there too yeah uh and just looking at their schedule here coming up they have georgia tech notre dame detroit ucla louisville uh i mean those four games there i don't think any of those teams really have an on-ball defender that is really going to be able to stop them in the way that a Marcus Garrett could or frankly that a Jacob Gilliard could even though Gilliard is small he's still one of the best perimeter defenders in college basketball so oh yeah five foot nine pain in the butt I mean gets up in you defensively forces you to do stuff you don't want to it's a great point yeah so I think we're gonna see Kentucky come out of this just fine I'm worried about the shooting. I'm also like, I know that Jacob Toppin like gave them good minutes uh, over the second half of that Kansas game. I haven't really seen much there that I'm excited about yet with Jacob Toppin, to be honest, uh, other than like that energy minutes. Like, I don't know if he's ready yet to think the game at the high level he needs to in order to uh, have success at a place like Kentucky as a sophomore. Uh, I would be playing guys like Dante Allen, Cameron Fletcher, Lance Ware over him right now, to be honest. I don't, uh, and they have been for what it's worth, but like I would almost remove Jacob Toppin, uh, from the rotation. And then I would probably once Keon Brooks comes back. And I think that that's part of this too, is that Keon Brooks is not there. Uh, once Keon Brooks comes back, I would probably get rid of one of, Cameron Fletcher or Lance Ware, if not both of them from the rotation. Toppin did give him a couple good energy buckets there in the second half, kept a minute. He had that big, like, high jumping on the right side finger roll. He's going to take time, too. He's probably more of a – he's thrown to the fire, but clearly a, a long-term upside play. You hope that he has kind of this blossoming like his brother. I'm not saying he's going to be a top-ten pick, but you hope that somewhere yeah. in that frame mold where, it, okay, he's he'll figure it out as time goes on. For right yeah. now, maybe not. Uh, I, I really did like Isaiah Jackson. He did give them some good minutes. It was well, hold, hold that thought. Spurts. Hold that thought, okay. Matt Penny, because oh. my second overreaction is that Isaiah Jackson is going to be a top-20 pick in the NBA draft. Like, I have... 
I, I'm concerned about some of the things I've seen in terms of him being drastically over aggressive defensively and falling for any single pump fake that someone throws at him. But he just moves like NBA players move. He is right. so athletic. He's so good laterally. He is uh, an incredible shot blocker with both his right and left hand. He rebounds the ball really, really well. It, it what he did against Kansas was just absolutely absurd on the defensive end. He was an absolute monster in that game. Stays with plays, really good second jump. He can yep. come down the middle of the lane and dunk on guys. He almost has like stickyish hands on the catch, really soft, goes to him, you know it's gonna be bobbled. He hit a left hook on one post move. I don't know if he necessarily has like a go to post move. I was texting with a couple of my buddies during the game. And I said he reminded me, not the face-up stuff, but of like a, a Syracuse Hakeem Warwick a little bit. How he like used his length and jumped. And the response my friends was like, I was seven years old. I don't even remember Hakeem Warwick at Syracuse. So I'm like, I'm going to pocket that one away for, for later. But able to use, <laughs> use his length and trap. Can play you the are not that press. old, Penny. Yeah, I know, but I feel old. Um, so uh, top 20 uh, – I'd have to pull up your big board. I'm not. I'm not selling that. I, I guess I would say I, I'd likely buy that based on it can be replicated at some level in the NBA. There's a fit for what he does. Well, the interesting thing is too, by the way, uh, Kentucky has actually been like considerably worse with him on the floor this year than compared to like Olivier Saar. When Sar has been on the floor through three games, uh, Kentucky is about seven points better than its opponent when Isaiah Jackson is on the floor versus 16 points better when he's off the floor. Um, they're 19 points better when Sar is on the floor versus actually five points worse than their opponent when Sar is off the floor. So maybe I'm getting a bit over aggressive on Isaiah Jackson. Say, are you, are you making your overreaction than reacting and overreacting to, to said reaction a little bit, but okay. you know, Isaiah Jackson has gotten a lot of publicity, particularly from the Kentucky fan base is like, Oh yeah, this guy's going to be a lottery pick. And I think I'm like pretty close. Like he, he just moves differently. At the end of the day, like the way that he moves is everything that NBA teams are looking for from the center position. He's six foot ten and a half with a seven foot three wingspan. Like you said, he is the elite level second jump. He has good verticality. He tries to contest everything like he has that aggressiveness um, really needs to stop falling for every single little pump fake like that would be great at some point for him. But there are just so many tools there that it's hard for me to look past uh just the, the athletic ability that he has. He, he's just, he's, he is the most like, Oh, that guy is different than what I expected in a very positive way coming into the season. I, I want to say he had eight blocks last game, like seven points, 12 rebounds, yeah. eight blocks, just a, a crazy stat line, which, and I can tell you like what the numbers look like on off for him uh, in that Kansas game. Give me a second here. These numbers numbers will come via pivot analysis. They were actually four points uh, per 100 possessions. And obviously you don't play a hundred possessions, but um, 
they were a little bit worse defensively with him on the floor than when he was uh, off the floor in that Kansas game. Well, it's like maybe knowing that you have that shot blocker behind you, you don't go as hard closing out. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not trying to justify it. That was that was like the thing where UMass, we had Stefan Lazby behind us who had a few cups of coffee NBA, but unbelievable shot blocker, and he just cleaned up the mess of everything. It's like, ah, oh, Steph's back there. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to I'm gonna have to try and figure out what's going on with Isaiah Jackson and their early, early, very extremely small sample size uh, on-off numbers. It's probably just noise, but it feels worth noting in this conversation that Kentucky – in general, was slightly worse when Isaiah Jackson was on the court statistically versus when he was off the court. Right. Um, and that comes via pivot analysis. I want to shout them out as well. Where do you want to go next? Let's let's move off of Kentucky. We've talked about them for about fifteen minutes now. Okay. Do we want to do? Let's do. Let's do prospects first. Just an overreaction. Is the twenty twenty one draft class actually as strong at the top as we, as the media, have made it out to be? And my my opening statement to that is: of we talked to BJ Boston, we talked Terrence Clark. Kate Cunningham, they're three and zero. He's averaged nineteen seven and three. Turnovers are high at three and a half a game. Takes a while to get going. He's been very good, but as much as we've hyped him up, it hasn't been like the oh wow stuff yet. I'd oh, say. Can, can I just like firmly disagree with that? Like <laughs> this, is the, this is the overreaction. Like I'm, I'm setting this up for you to to have some some take on it. Like I I, I also disagree, but I'm saying like you can't you can't, you can't crush all of it like right away. Sure. Reasonable. Continue. Thank you. Uh, you have Zaire Williams, who's been good in, in flashes, but hasn't necessarily been like unbelievable, I guess you would say. Is that fair? Yeah. Do we think he's healthy? I don't know. I texted like I mean, looks like that, that. You said that the other day, and, and, and I wasn't um, – I wasn't like against it, so to say, but you were more you were more on the the tip that you thought that he was not healthy. Yeah, and look, this is like purely speculative on my part in a way that like might not be totally fair, right? So, and I don't mean to like question what Stanford and what Zaire are doing necessarily, because again, like I don't have the info on that. Like I'm sure I could send a couple texts and maybe find out, but like. When I watch him right now, he doesn't have that same like quick twitch burst that he had in high school. And he's obviously wearing that like enormous knee brace. And I just wonder if what we're kind of seeing from him so far is only just like 80% or something. Yeah. Yeah. Of what we're going to see in the future from him because I, I think he's, I think Zaire is really, really good. And like you said, like there have been really impressive flashes so far, but it's just not quite, uh, not quite as quick twitch and explosive as what I think we expected coming in. Right. Not as quick twitch explosive, but almost like better off the dribble pull up stuff than I remember. Yeah. 
like creates a lot of space. It doesn't blow by. It's got to be creates space and has a really high release. So he like gets it off as he wants and his legs can kind of go all over the place, but he releases it. You think it's going in. I mean, he's a, it, it's been beaten to death by everybody, but it is a, an effortless type shot scorer, efficient, doesn't necessarily waste dribbles, did not shoot the ball well yesterday, but plays his speed. He won't let himself, he won't let the defense speed him up. The weight, he is a little bit thin, so he's kind of like a two-level scorer right now, I'd say, because he yeah. doesn't get all the way to the basket. Like, when you have a stronger guy like a John Petty covering you, he just bounces off him, and and that'll come a time. But Well, and, and because he doesn't have that twitch first step, too, I think, right Right, now. right. But the supreme pull-up game definitely helps, and he can hit shots with movement coming off pick and roll either side. I mean, there was one play where – De Silva set this like really high ball screen and defender went under and he just pulled up and, and knocked it down. Yeah. And also he's, he's just on a team with, with Dejon Davis, with Bryce Wills. He's not always going to have the ball in his hands. A lot of it's based on reads and spacing. So he's not going to, I don't think he'll necessarily have the, the statistical fireworks that a top five guy traditionally may have. And, and just to finish my point, we can dive back in. Yeah. Evan Mobley's been really good. I know you want to talk about him. The, G League guys haven't really played, and Scotty Barnes played one game last night against North Florida and had eight point six rebounds, six assists. So just based on the the whole framework of that, and, and all the all the hype we've we've said, and despite it being three games, which I, I keep going back to, is there any level of this might be a little bit more than we let on? I think that my answer is still. No. And the reason that that is is because Jalen Suggs looks like a total monster, right? Yeah, well, I was waiting for the Jalen Suggs segment of the podcast before I even uh, yeah. mentioned him with the draft because he wasn't as high on everybody's board. So now the train has left the station. Like, he's, he's one or two everywhere. I mean, like, I texted you... And I told Doster this on the most recent podcast as well. Like, I think that Jalen Suggs' first game against Kansas was more impressive than anything Anthony Edwards did in a single game last year. And we'll have to see how that continues to grow over the course of the next few weeks and over the next couple of months. But yeah, I mean, Jalen Suggs, I think, is kind of burst in a way that is a little bit different than what we expected and moved up even if someone like a you know bj boston going o of 11 from three so far and terrence clark going o of 10 from three or whatever has fallen down a little bit like there have been guys that have pushed up and there have been guys that have kind of pushed down the board like josh christopher has been really really good so far at arizona state and looks every bit like a potential like late lottery top 20 guy yeah, score. He, I mean, don't have to get too crazy here, but yeah. like Mar- Marcus Bagley looks saying, really good. Exactly. Yeah, he looks way better than that. I remember when people thought Suggs. The the thing that I don't want to say people missed on, but I maybe took for granted. He is so good in the pick and roll. Like he yeah. knows every read. He knows when to dart passes. He knows when to hold the the second big. I mean, there was a play against West Virginia where Culver was just like a second late to switch yep. back and he hit Umar Ballo in the hands and got an and one. And it was just like 
Yeah. Perf- it, it was how you would draw it up in like a drill for how it to look like. And then, yeah, the next time he'll normally, not this game because he had his, his injury and his Paul Pierce moment showing his football toughness and coming back. <laughs> he'll turn the corner next and he'll score and he'll get in the lane. He'll throw his body in there. And then he hasn't done a lot of shooting off the move, but he can do that too. Yeah. So he's, he showed the whole package. My counterpoint overreaction within a point is that if you did, you, you you said Anthony Edwards. Let's use him, I guess. Anthony Edwards' team at Georgia had their offensive limitations. We'll put it last year, right? Sure. Yeah, they they didn't space the floor well around him at all. If he was on that this current Gonzaga team, what do you think Anthony Edwards would look like? I'm not trying to paint you into a corner. Either. No, no, no. Like, no, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. Um, this is from my, my buddy Rafi, who used it for for Cade Cunningham. Just like, all right, if Cade had those weapons, but we'll, let's use let's use Anthony just because he went first. Oh, I, I mean, if you put Cade Cunningham in Gonzaga's offense, like they would go undefeated, and I would have zero concerns about. But anything what? And then and then the flip forward. would be okay. What about um, Suggs? The Freaky Friday switch with with Oklahoma State. What what do you think they would look like? Yeah, I think it would be a different kind of situation. But and look, I think that too often with prospects, people underrate the value of going to a scheme that fits a player. Right. Gonzaga's ball screen continuity offense fits Jalen Suggs perfectly to a T. Could not be any better. Right. Uh, he is going to get to find cutters. He is going to get to find open shooters because Gonzaga consistently recruits shooters. He is going to have a role threat at all times because Drew Timmy and Umar Balo are always going to be available. Uh, and just in terms of the offense that they run, he's going to get to operate in ball screens constantly. It's a pristine fit. Having said that, if you put Anthony Edwards in that offense, I don't think that Gonzaga would recruit Anthony Edwards because I don't think Anthony Edwards can make the ball screen reads in terms of being a passer that Jalen Suggs can make. And I don't think that Anthony Edwards has the craft as a finisher that Jalen Suggs has already shown. Now, Anthony Edwards is just more explosive and stronger than Jalen Suggs. So on some level, he doesn't really need that craft that Jalen Suggs needs necessarily uh, when you can go through someone because you're bigger and stronger and more explosive uh, a straight line to the basket's always easier than uh, trying to have to maneuver around it but as you move up levels I think that having that craft having that uh, having that ability to change angles on elite level rim protectors is so much more important and he has all that already so yeah I really like Jalen Suggs quite a bit. Like, I'm not saying like, oh yeah, this guy is like definitely in the running for number one because he's not Cade Cunningham and Cade Cunningham has been a joke so far. Uh, but I think that Suggs has been awesome and I, I really like everything I've seen. The burst, it, again, sorry to do this. The football burst is evident too. Probably changes speeds, which, which helps him a lot. And Gonzaga, I mean, touched on it. They just beat you so many different ways. It's like they just keep coming. Like Nemhard came off the bench last night and kept the momentum. He hit a three. He, I don't know if he yelled at the West Virginia bench or what, but like kept it rolling. The next possession, Euro stepped for a finish on the fast break. He swung the tide like completely. And then you look up and it's like, oh, yeah, here's Corey Kispert. And like, oh, you're close out to him. Here's Drew Timmy with the finish. Like they just, and then Ayayi had some 
good plays. Like it's just an embarrassment of riches and wealth of what they have for pieces. And they're they're all different. They're not like the same guy. They all have different things where it's like Suggs is going to come off the ball screen, and you have to play that differently than you would if it's Kispert. And yeah, they're really good. Yeah, I don't I don't know how it's the everyone's been banging that drum, but it's hard not to. Yeah, I mean, if they get past, I said this on the last podcast too, but if they get past Baylor this weekend, I, I think that they are going undefeated. Um, they're too deep. They're too talented. They can withstand injury, uh, which is a really underrated thing that you have to be able to do in a college basketball season. Like Pavel Zakharov was what a top 100 recruit or so, right? Yeah. Yeah. I really liked them actually. Yeah, uh, is that Mount Verde, right? Their other team, their second team, I think. Yeah, he is like their third center who is never going to play on this roster. Martinez Arlauskas like is a long term NBA prospect wing uh, at some point, and he is never going to play on this roster unless injury befalls him or befalls people ahead of him. Dominic Harris is pretty good. Is like a fifth guard to have around uh, on your roster. They are embarrassingly deep uh, you need you need three guys to have a stinker for them to lose and yes. it just looks like they've been playing for two or three weeks and that's probably part of the experience matters and experience counts because like they have like they just plugged in Jalen Suggs and kept on rolling on with what they were doing so I, I think that's a a decent segue into the Cade stuff where he's playing with a little bit of a younger team. They've had to use different looks to to get him going too, just because he doesn't have as many weapons as a, a Gonzaga may. So I, I give credit to Mike Boyd to Oklahoma State. They even put him up front at some plays in the front yeah. court just to take some pressure off him and not get trapped and, and face guarded. And he can score. I mean, he would do that anyway. In the best of times, he'll post smaller guards. So you, you said you're still – I'm still all on a K2. Just be clear with that. But – What's kind of like your early assessment on the games you watched? I know you watched Marquette. I'm guessing you watched Texas Arlington. Where are you at with them? Yeah. Uh, everything I've seen so far is as I expected. Uh, the pace he plays at, the ability to finish at the rim, uh, the fact that he's shooting it. Like I mentioned that a couple times in the preseason that Oklahoma State really thought he had improved as a shooter and he's three of eight from three so far. Uh, I, I would expect that that will continue going forward. Um, the poise, like I know that he, it says he only is averaging like three assists per game. Is that right? Like he only has yeah three assists, three, almost three and a half turnovers. Yeah. Yeah. But if you watch those games, so much of Cade's passing ability is collapse the defense, kick out, and then second reversal for an open three. Uh, like kick out from Cade, uh, j- just kind of missed open three pointer from Rondell Walker or something like that, right? Uh, this team is not particularly talented around him, in my opinion, but even without that talent he still shines through in such an unbelievable way in the way that he affects winning they get open shots on nearly every possession and Cade does not care if it comes from him making a pass into an open three-point shooter so that he gets a chance at an assist or he doesn't care if he's the one attacking the basket and trying to get to a pull-up game or trying to finish at the rim 
He does not care about any of that. He is just going out there and creating open looks for his teammates and creating high level offense, uh, every single possession that he's out on the court. And I, I see no reason to be concerned about Cade Cunningham based off of what we've seen so far. And he's driving in the lane. He's getting a few charges because guys are stepping up and knowing that he's not going to slow down either. And when he does kick out, you're right. They haven't hit a ton of those shots. And you think Bryce Thompson at Kansas, like they were finalists. It's like, well, if you kicked out to Bryce, he hits, knocks it down. Like our number is even better. Or like yeah. you said, that, that second pass, that hockey assist pass that, that he does. And he takes a little bit while to get going. And now they don't play a ranked team until December 20th. They play Texas. They follow up the next week with Texas Tech and West Virginia. So they're 3-0, and but they're going to get their legs under them a little bit. He's unselfish to me, almost to a fault at times. Yeah. But he is a great teammate. He pulls guys in for huddles. Even with bad calls, he, he's cheering. He's clapping it up. He's getting guys going. He's the first he, one he to is, help guys off the floor. Yeah, straight up the leader of that team already. Totally. Like totally. it's. And, it is abundantly clear who the guy is on that team. And it's, it's awesome to see like he yeah, is, he is the guy. And he'll take any assignment really both sides. When we talked to him playing in the post a little bit defensively too. I mean, he was guarding Dawson Garcia who's six ten two thirty for a lot. And I think the second possession of the game, he got up in him, like deflected the ball is either jump ball or turnover. Like he's, he's able to do that. That, that switching one through four-ish comfortably at his, at his size and his strength. Yeah, he's... Everything I've seen so far from Cade Cunningham is as advertised. Uh, if anything, I think he has improved enough as a shooter to where like he's getting into like mid-range pull-ups in a way that makes me think that that's going to translate at a high level in the NBA. He's getting into like catch and shoot threes uh, with high level mechanics that make me think that that's going to translate. I, I have zero concerns. Off of also, what we've ze- seen also zero concerns, him. but you just, you start to hear the rumbling. It's not that loud, but like, I don't know. Is he as good as, and I, my answer is yes. Yeah. No w- watch. Even, even the Marquette game where he was like quiet for probably a third of that game, right? Cade's quiet play still puts his teammates in position to succeed at a high level. And I see no reason to fault that yet. Uh, like you, you mentioned that like you think he's unselfish to a fault and I, I don't even disagree with that necessarily like there is certainly space for him to dominate the ball more often but he's not someone that's gonna just like drive into a crowd of four guys collapsing down on him like cole anthony did last year like that that's not who he is that's not what he wants to do he doesn't think that that's the way to generate efficient offense like he could do that like very easily i'm sure that mike boynton would not take him off the floor if Cade Cunningham decided, I want to go score right now and try to get all the way to the rim. He could do it every possession if he wanted to, but that's not what helps the team win. And look, they just beat a top 35 team in the country of Marquette uh, in large part because he was 
as solid and as steady as he was throughout the entire course of that game. He was who he thought he was. Yeah, he he is who he think who we all think he is. Um Okay. I want to go back to Gonzaga very quickly because we just very briefly touched on this guy. But my next overreaction is that Corey Kispert is going in the first round. Like there is, I have zero doubts in my mind that that guy is going to be a first round pick. I think there is a pretty good shot. He goes 50, 40, 90 this year. Like okay. everything that he does is absurd uh, in terms I mean, of the way it scales to the NBA level. 61, 45, 86 right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just an unbelievable team player. Uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, he was the highest ranked player on my board to return to college. I had him at like 38 or 39 by the time that he decided to uh, go back to Gonzaga. And he did it for the right reasons. Like, I think he wants to go out and try and be the guy who leads Gonzaga to an NBA championship or a uh, NCAA title, right? Uh, yeah. I think that that's what he's all about. And it's like very clear that like him and Timmy are the leaders of this team. And I, I am very, very, very impressed with what I've seen from Corey Kispert so far. Uh, even in terms of his ability to attack closeouts, like just the little stuff that he's added to his game in this layoff, like, he always had like a little bit of that Eurostep game, but the Eurostep that he threw at, I think it was Taz <laughs> Sherman, the, the, the maybe. One, uh, I think I'd say the Sean McNeil one where he gave him like a Macho Man elbow off the face and knocked him out for <laughs> 10 seconds. He's spitting out blood from his forehead. Yeah, that was a good one, too. Yeah, but yeah. Men's the, League, yeah. Yeah, the other one that was really impressive was the one in transition where it looked like he was in some trouble, but he just like totally like fuck this guy up. I think it was Taz Sherman with some footwork and laid it in like it was nothing. So everything that I've seen from Corey Kispert thus far makes me think that he is going to be an exceedingly high level NBA role player. Uh, and he is like very clearly uh, one of the best players in college basketball this season. For returners, where did you have the Was he? Like right uh, but where did I have IO? Yeah, he'd have been somewhere up there. Yeah, I think I've I, I think I had IO higher on my board to start this year because I kind of thought that there was a chance that he could show some growth, but I, I think I'm just wrong on that. Like Kispert is ridiculous. He's so good. And obviously early, but he's producing against teams like Kansas, Auburn, and West Virginia, and putting up yep. numbers. He's, he's up to like 22 a game from 14 last year. Yep. The previous season, they had. Like, just to be frank, a non-conference schedule that was more cupcakey with Alabama State, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, and North Dakota. So you're, you're playing a, a higher level of guys, a defender of athletes, and he's really not showing any signs of slowing down. You have to find him in transition, too, because he's he's doing a good job of, like, spotting and pulling up when he gets those looks. He'll yep. plow through guys, as, as we've seen and we've talked about. Also, his assist numbers aren't crazy, but he's a pretty good passer, too. Like, he had one high-low-ish pass to Timmy for either a layup or a foul to the free-throw line, which just shows the the growth and development and full-rounded nature of his game. 
But yeah. I, I don't think you're really going on a limb much saying he's a, a first round pick. And it's six seven two twenty was in the thirty ish range, probably a guaranteed contract ish range, showing that he's doing it on the best team in the country, and not. It's also not like a force. I mean, you have other guys averaging 15, 17, 20 points per game. And yep. you look at some other prospects where they don't get – no subliminals here. But, uh, like, they don't get a touch. And if they don't get a touch for, like, four possessions, the guy catches it. You're like, oh, that's a shot. Like, you don't yeah. worry about, about that with him. Like, he's going to get his within the flow of what they're doing. Yeah. No, 100%. Like, <laughs> he's averaging over 20 points a night while doing it within the flow of an unbelievable offense. Uh, he's doing it with a 75% true shooting percentage. Like, you can say that he gets more open shots than other elite players, and I don't think I would disagree with that necessarily. But he's going to get those open shots in the NBA, too. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's an absolute stud. If you told me he goes in the top 20, I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the day. He's really, really good. Really, really talented player. Um, okay. Give me your next one. We talked about it a little bit, just as an overreaction. Don't go nuts. Is that Duke will not bounce back after this loss to Michigan State. Interesting. So what do you mean by not bounce back? Because I'm generally on board with this take. That they're that you're in or out on them? I'm out. I don't think they're very good. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought you were the opposite. Yeah, just like they didn't necessarily figure out their guards had a hard time. I mean, you had Wendell Moore was 0 for 9 with three turnovers. DJ Stewart was 0 for 7. Jalen Johnson was fantastic at the 5 to start. I really like him there because it allows him to beat slower defenders off the bounce. He takes the ball the length of the court for rebounds and, and can make plays. But Michigan State slowed it down a little bit. He struggled some in the, in the half court with his jumper when they forced him to shoot and didn't let him play as much with a head of steam. Uh, and, and clearly just were frazzled with the play of Aaron Henry, the the good Aaron Henry that we want to see more of. Yeah, but just how, like how does that? Is it a guard play a bounce back? Is it going more through Matthew Hurt, who had twenty one and thirteen, albeit somewhat quietly? Like where do they kind of turn from here? I mean, the guards are terrible right now. Okay, <laughs> like <laughs> I always try it. So, like, if you're democratically, I guess is the word, and you're just like, yeah, they stink. Like, okay, good. Don't well, send the hate mail to me. It's it's at Sam Vecini. And I really like DJ Stewart. Like, I think he's going to be a really good player. And I think that some of the hate that he got after that Michigan State game was probably a little bit over the top. Yeah, but and, and I'm not trying like, you have to, I, I know this might be corny. I, I start with everything. It might be corny. I am corny. He literally played until a final whistle. Like, he was not playing yeah. well offensively. They're down six with 18 seconds to play. And he, like, forced a turnover. They're clapping it up. They're getting another set. He has a relentless style of play. He just keeps coming at you. He's very good defensively on the ball. Just the the shot wasn't there. He like aired airballed the three in transition. I mean, he didn't have a field goal the rest of the game. He's going to figure it out. Just kind of who is there? Who's their rotation? Who's their starting guys? We just praised Gonzaga for having kind of like their guards, their guards, the wings, the wings, the bigs, the bigs. It's very like separated. They right. know the world are really good for Duke. It's like well, they they don't do have a half court a- point guard. Is the problem. Right, but like, give or take a few inches, more hurt Jalen Johnson, even Breakfield, even Joey Baker. They're all kind of like that same ish mold. It's not giving you a different look. So, 
I, I mean, like, look, I don't want to just like shit on guys here necessarily, but like, do you understand why Joey Baker is getting any minutes right now? Like he he was terrible against Coppin State, and then was like totally unplayable against Michigan State. How many? I don't know if you have the box score up, but how many minutes did he play? Uh, let me. I would guess fifteen. Let me look at it. Well, uh, so okay, he's on the bench. Who who do you go? Like, what's your if Wendell Breakfield Moore's is over, over a lot nine, better than Breakfield? Yeah, yeah, he is. That makes yeah, sense. like Breakfield's just much better. And by the way, like I have some pretty real concerns about Wendell Moore too. Yeah. Like, but maybe maybe it's a matter of trust thing too that Coach K is is used to Joey Baker knows what he's getting. Maybe have a quicker hook for freshmen who are still just figuring out. So jo- Joey know, Baker I, played I twelve minutes in that okay. game. Um, yeah, and you're right. Like on some level, you probably need to play Joey Baker something in the vicinity of twelve minutes. But when him, Wendell Moore, and DJ Stewart go over what was it 20 something like that like it's it's tough it's really tough and wendell moore i really worry if he has like the requisite athleticism to make a high level impact in the way that duke needs him to make at the college level uh he just like even they they found him in the dunker spot I think it was against Coppin State. I want to say Jalen Johnson threw this like unbelievable, uh, just coming off of a pick and roll dart of a pass to Wendell Moore. Wendell Moore loads up off of two feet in the dunker spot and still goes for like a little push shot lay in right at the rim. And his shit just gets erased because right. he doesn't have any lift. He doesn't really have any burst. And I don't know about you. Like, I think he probably shoots it at some point, but he's not really a shooter yet. So I'm just like a little bit like I I really like Wendell Moore, like as a kid, like I talked to him at McDonald's and he was awesome. Uh, And I really liked him when I saw him at the lower levels, but he was kind of a bully at lower levels and he can't really do that anymore. I, I really worry about where this goes from here. All the reports in the offseason too are really positive about him too. I mean, I'm I'm hoping he figures it out. Just you have to you have to Jalen Johnson had such an unbelievable game and stat line against Coppin State, but we saw some of these potential, I guess, warts of things happening. Like what was the guard situation gonna be? you also have to find the, the only to, guys like, I trust on that team right now are Matt Hurt, DJ Stewart, and Jalen Johnson. Right. And, and I'd also say, like, maybe you, you do some more stuff for Hurt earlier and take a little bit of the pressure off Jalen to try to do everything. Like, make yeah. Jalen Johnson a little bit more of a creator. Like, when he goes off the bounce and jump stops in the lane and he threw a couple, like, really good passes opposite and he threw one, like, over his head, like, he really sees the game and sees the floor. But when they dig themselves a hole, to me it comes off like he feels like he's got to be the one digging them out by himself. Yeah. Where, where Hurt was getting these touches kind of on like that shoulderish area, yeah. clearing out the side. He has the high release. It's tough to block. I mean, he's a little bit bigger, but he, he gets his shots off when he needs it. He's good in the, in the pick and roll. He had a quick spin for righty hook at like the 21 and 13 thing. I, it wasn't even like, it was like the fifth stat line that would pop up on whatever the highlights of the game. Well, 
I guess what I would ask you is what would you do at point guard? Like, cause at the end of the day, they're not very good right now, but they need to get to the point where they are good by the time mid January rolls around. Right. So do you keep playing Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart together and hope that Jeremy Roach figures it out? Cause I don't think DJ Stewart's really a point guard. I think he's, you, you want to play him at the two where he's freed up to score and maybe yeah, you combo, have him yeah. defend point of attack. I don't think Jalen Johnson is really a half court point guard. Like I think I would rather have him, uh, just with the freedom to push and transition and then not have to play as like a half court point guard necessarily so, because so where I don't do you, think where he can do, you do, put do that. Him, do you want like him on the wing, the elbow? Just I mean, what I would do is I would like stretch it out. Like I would, I would start breakfield first and foremost because breakfield can actually shoot. And I would go kind of five out and oh, I would you're play. Going, you're going, you're going the Virginia division three, five out. No, not necessarily that, but I would play ball screen <laughs> heavy funny. offense with yeah. one of them. And I would use Jalen Johnson as the screener and put him in short rolls constantly and let him take advantage of four on threes. And then maybe put Matt Hurt in the corner. Yeah. Stretch it out a little bit. Yeah. And, and then use him as a cutter just, and everything like right. that. Right, and, yeah. and he can roll, then he can stay at the top the next time. You clear it aside, he makes a play. I, right. You still keep going with Roach and Stewart over Goldwire, like you have to. I will say, like I think Jordan Goldwire is better than Jeremy Roach right now. Uh, but maybe maybe if, right now. I, I have faith in, yeah. in Roach, I do. Yeah, if, if Jordan Goldwire is still their best point guard at the end of the year, they are in deep shit, I think. <laughs> Like, <laughs> no disrespect to Jordan Goldwire. I, 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 I tried again. I try to be so respectful, and you just come up with a knockout punch. Well, like this is this is how we really feel. <laughs> look, Jordan Goldwire is like a pretty consistent twenty plus turnover percentage guy who doesn't really shoot it. So he plays great defense, and he's like people shit on him as a guy that you know. How did he end up at Duke? He was. You know, where were his offers? His offers were like Mercer and Duke, and that was it. Like, I think he's very clearly a, like, good enough player to play at Duke. And that is a commendable outcome for him, and he's worked his ass off to get there. But, like, this is a team that has, like, national title hopes. And I don't think that Jordan Goldwire is necessarily the guy that's going to get them there in the half court. Well, they have Bellarmine. Bellarmine or Bellarmine? Am I saying that wrong? Uh, Bellarmine, I believe. Yeah, I think so, too. They have Bellarmine tomorrow. Well, Friday. I don't know if going to post. They have Elon Sunday. I think Elon's playing again, right? They they po- No, sorry. They postponed. So they have Bellarmine. And then they play again Tuesday, December 8th against Illinois. That will yep. also be a tough one. Yeah. It's at, it's at Cameron. I don't know if like it matters where you play anymore. I, mean, I know you got to fly and get on the get on the road a little bit, but I don't think it's like, is that a home court advantage anymore? I, I can't tell, but yeah, that'll be, I mean, those guys are, are pretty relentless at guard too. Yeah. They're, they're going to guard the hell out of what yeah. Duke does. And like what Duke can do though, is they can play Jalen Johnson at the five and try and play Kofi Coburn oh, off Kofi, the court. Pull him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like th- they have real structural advantages that they could pull out if they want to, but I don't know if they will necessarily. Cause it doesn't seem like that's the way that, they necessarily want to play this year right so i think coach k has his work cut out for him with this roster like it's not a roster devoid of talent like there there are guys here that are very good at basketball 
but they need to figure out the point guard position. They need to find reliable shooting from the wing and they need to figure out what to do with Jalen Johnson in the half court in order to make him the most dangerous player that he can be. Because at the end of the day, actualizing Jalen Johnson in the half court and figuring out the point guard position are the two things that will like tell the story of the season for Duke. Real quick on that. That was a, that was a good finish. Where is after three games, where is Jalen Johnson now under big board? I think he had lower the most. I think he had 19. Now he's soaring. Where is he rough range for you? Yeah, I'd have him somewhere in the lottery. Um, like, I don't think he was very good against Michigan State. Like, I'll just say that. I mean. Good to start. <laughs> Definitely good to start. When he started, yeah. like, the first, I don't know, six, seven minutes, you're like, okay, here it comes. Yeah, no question. Like, I think that's definitely true. He was good when the game was, like, up and down and played at his pace, yeah, essentially. Yeah. And then, like, Joey Hauser, if I remember correctly, was in foul trouble there, too. But as soon as, like, Hauser came back in and they were able to slow it down and um, Malik Hall was really good in that game, too. Julius Marble was really good in that game. Like, as soon as they were able to slow it down and... uh get it into more of a half court game. I thought that Jalen Johnson was pretty invisible and Mm. it's, I still don't know what to do with him in the half court for the college game. Uh, I mean, I know what I would do. Like I, again, would like spread it out and play him at the five and short roll him. Right. And let him take advantage of four on threes and let him just beat defenders who frankly don't have the basketball IQ that he does. Right. Because the one thing we can't say about Jalen Johnson is that guy processes the game at an exceptionally high level. Right. Right. And, and it'll be this is such a, like a fallback, but it's a more open game in the NBA, too. So he'll have the benefit of, of making more reads than he probably does with a, a packed yeah. defense if you're, your guys aren't shooting it well, too. Right. But like we've even seen the limitations of that with someone like Ben Simmons. Right. Um Ben Simmons is probably the best open court player in the NBA other than LeBron. But when you put him in the half court and ask him to play point guard, it doesn't go super well right now. Like Jalen Johnson is not Ben Simmons athletically. Like No, I was going to say, if he's Ben Simmons, that is a huge win at the lottery somewhere. But well, he's considerably less athletic Ben Simmons. And that's, that's a tough fit. Like I think that, what I would do with Ben Simmons is very similar to what I would do with Jalen Johnson. I would short roll Ben Simmons and let him take advantage of four on threes in the half court. But in the Sixers have done that at times from time to time. And it's really worked. I, I will be interested to see if Duke does that with Jalen Johnson. I think that that is, uh, that is the route toward success for him, uh, in the half court. He's going to put up numbers because, he can grab and go on the break and just process the game at an exceedingly high level. I still want to see what he does in the half court because I don't trust the jumper in the slightest right now. The teams are going to slow it down now. They're going to make you play even more in the half court, even just that kind of like mock defensive press, mock coverage after a basket to slow you down initially so you can't get into anything else quickly. 
Yeah, no question. He's good. He's he's. He, I mean, he's worth. He's really good. Middle of the lottery. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I like the, I said, the number one, the number two, three stuff. But he's. It again. It's like it's a discussion. We like Zaire was really good, and and he'll be talked about, but not setting the world on fire. He, he may be hurt. Not not a shot at all. I mean, BJ Boston, people talking about, hasn't been spectacular. So he'll he'll be right there. He'll be in the mix conversation. Yeah, his name's on the board. He's like one of like the, you know, like the six names with Velcro on the big board that you're at least talking about. Yeah, you want to crush it so badly. Just, 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 just like no, because he's been good. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to say that he's somewhere like right around like ten for me. Like probably. I'll, I'll go higher. Well, in the eight to a, 10 range for a, a sure. Frosty course light on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Like he might go higher than that too, but I want to see where guys like BJ Boston, I want to see Keon Johnson play. I want to see Kuminga and yeah, Jalen Green. still play. have a, another week for Tennessee as a lot of guys want to see on that team. Yeah. Um, like I would definitely take Jalen Suggs over him right now. I wouldn't really think all that hard about it. Uh, no, I I mean, most people, I think, Suggs is a hard two or three right now. It's recency yeah. bias, but, like, right here, right now, that's what people would say. Yeah, like, wouldn't think twice At about least the internet. If the internet. If the internet were drafting, he's two, and it's over. Let's move on and talk about three. <laughs> um, I would not take him over Evan Mobley either, by the way. And maybe that'll be my next you're high, overreaction. You're high on Mobley right now. Yeah. Evan Mobley. Watched him. What's your take? He has been awesome so far everything about what he has done on the court and he's playing right now as we podcast he is uh through the first five minutes five points uh two rebounds and an assist already against connecticut what's the score uh it's 12 11 connecticut okay everything like that minus one yukon yeah everything that he does is so inc- like ev- like the book on him was that like he's a little bit raw coming in I could not disagree with that more. He is so incredibly polished in the way that he operates in dribble handoffs, in the way that he operates in ball screens. He already knows how to like change the angle for his ball handler to get a different driving angle whenever he's trying to attack the basket. You can short roll him. You can play him in the post. You can just like pick and pop him for three. You can pick and pop him, pop him into the mid range. Like, Everything I've seen from Evan Mobley is he is like ahead of James Wiseman in terms of where he is right now, especially offensively. Defensively, he needs to work through where the fuck he needs to be on the court at all the time, at all times. <laughs> yeah. And, and shore up the turnovers a little bit, like two, almost two and a half turnovers a game right now. Show he's only taken three, three pointers. I don't know if the UConn game, you'll update that, but he's two for three. He's he's very mobile. He's fluid. He's rim yeah. running too. He's not one of these bigs that has just decided they're going to drift to the perimeter and that's their game now. And he no. has good hands on those. Can rim really runs. handle the ball. Yeah, I mean he he has like some stuff where he can dribble out of double teams too and like look opposite. He'll face up. He doesn't make like a, a huge target. I'd say out of out of pick and roll, but he's able to hold his his base for the most part. You want that to get a little bit stronger because he still get bumped off his move a little bit by bigger players, but yeah, I, he was engaged in the glass, the game I watched, and 
hit one trailer three in transition, another quick high ball screen into like a roll from the top. So he's been very good. Frankly, I just want to see more. Like I, I'm not the the overreacting guy. I just want to see him play more games or what he can do against other bigger guys. I know BYU had some bigger players as, as we joked about. Yeah, I mean, they're, the guy that he started against looks like he's 45 years old. Like, <laughs> he probably, everyone gets a free fifth year, sixth year now. He probably is. Yeah, and it wasn't Harms. He played against Harms a little bit too. And Matt Harms is, you know, a high major, high level player who is a very good rim protector. And he just like completely erased that front court. He was absolutely monstrous in that BYU game. Played 29 minutes. 17 points, 11 rebounds, two blocks, and I think that they missed at least one, maybe two others uh, in the score sheet there. So I love uh, that. Your score was wrong. Check my book. This is this is AU basketball at its finest. He's got four fouls. Doesn't have five. Sam's book says six blocks. Well, the uh, sorry to go back to the officiating here, but the Marquette Oklahoma State game, the thing flashed up on the screen after Theo John's technical foul saying that he fouled out. And I was like, oh, my God, did they really just foul this guy out on that play there? I think um, he tweeted it. Yeah. Yeah. And it turned out that he didn't foul out. Like the officials just yeah. got it or the uh, graphics department at Fox Sports got it wrong. But yeah, it was uh, we, we need to get into the into the weeds on watching tape uh, when it comes to comes to high level prospects. Evan Mobley's looked incredible so far. I am. Uh, I am very in on everything I've seen from Evan Mobley. By the way, as we're talking right now, uh, James Booknight has 11 points in five minutes. <laughs> I love him. I do. And, and UConn is, has, has, they've gone all in on like making him the guy too, which we like anticipated. Yeah. I watched the Hartford game and I, I want to say like the first possession they sent like six screens. It was like, here's a handoff. Here's a double. He's come back. Here's another one. And then uh, I don't know. It's a first possession or a couple later. He went down the lane. He, he dunks with his left a lot. But he just so casually, like, one dribble from the perimeter and, like, rose up and dunked with his left. And it's like, that's what pros look like. That's what they do. Yeah, he is uh, – that guy is a lottery pick, I think. Yes. Like, he is – he's a joke right now at the college level. Uh, all right, do you have any other overreactions? We're at uh, – we're about an one, hour I have, 15. I have one more. Okay. I have one more. Give me one more. Just a quick one. Quick. The, uh, no shade here. No shade. I'm just saying based on what we just saw. Just saw Maui. Just saw the champions of Texas. Kai Jones is the best post prospect on the Texas Longhorns. So over Greg Brown, over Jericho Sims, uh, I would imagine that we're not really worried about Gerald Liddell at this point, right? Not yet. And my reasoning is this. He's missed once. He's shooting 94% from the field. Like, I didn't even realize it because I wasn't looking at box scores. 11 points per game, six rebounds. I had my notes. He drifts to the perimeter too much. He's a missed. He's three for three. And I, I just, I, I, he's 6'11, he's 220 pounds. He's all over the place. I like his activity level a lot. I see the upside potential to be this high level pick and roll defender. It was obvious that Matt Coleman was the catalyst for the Maui Asheville invitational win. Like the whole world knew that he was doing that step back and still hit it for a game winner, which is incredible. 
but Kai was such this big contributor in that game, especially with 12 points and eight rebounds. I think another game he had like three rebounds and he's far from a finished product, but like the more digging you do, you think that he might end up figuring it out. I thought he would be better last year than he was statistically. And now if it's, if it's starting to click on all cylinders, he's not a bad NBA five. If he can do all those things. Yeah, uh, so far, Kai Jones has made more threes than he has missed shots. So he has a 102.9 effective field goal percentage. Oh, man. It's some sort of record. Yeah, um, through four games. And it's not like it's not even like a slight at, at Greg Brown either. I mean, Greg Brown's been slotted a lot of places in the lottery. But he's he's more like 6'8", 6'9", kind of like a 5, trying to figure it out. Like, I don't... Yeah. I don't know if he's necessarily a four. His handle's still like pretty loose and he does his, his drives are unconventional in that like he'll go left across the lane to kind of like spin back to his right and try to get a foul. He just hasn't figured out how to use these high quick twitch athletic tools consistently on both ends. And like there's this play against North Carolina. It was like a pick and pop on the left wing and he catches it. He drives left. He's bumped off his path. He kind of like misses this like soft floater and the ball like goes out of bounds there's a whistle so the play's dead he picks up the ball and does like this 180 tomahawk dunk that means nothing i'm just like we need that like channel that figure that out and and you'll be fine yeah yeah i haven't watched texas enough yet to jump in like i, I don't want to make uh early greg brown statements just because I, I haven't i haven't seen them enough like i know that they've yeah you know, played in Maui and, you know, everyone has seen Nashville them a bunch. Maui, yeah. I, I was just kind of doing, I was kind of trying to catch up on other guys and I'd watched North Carolina uh, a couple times already. So I didn't watch the game yesterday. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to hold thoughts on where I'm at on Pass. Greg yeah. Brown. So, and also he, he's averaged eight and a half points, seven rebounds, half a block. Four fouls and two and a half turnovers. He fouled out in 12 minutes against Indiana and was held to two points. He's going through it too. He's a freshman. He's figuring it out. Just Kai Jones is a little bit further ahead of schedule. Would yeah. be my statement on it. All right. I don't know if I've, uh, I don't know if we've got anything else on the schedule here. Maybe, maybe I do want to bring up West Virginia real quick because Deuce McBride rules. Like that dude is just really fun. Also, high school football player. Yeah. Yeah, shout out uh, high school football players. Who who do you think was the tougher high school football player on the court uh, against Gonzaga? Do you think it was Miles McBride or do you think it was Jalen Suggs? Uh, Jalen Suggs. He had the the bounce back injury, the Clyde Frazier return. It's got to be Suggs. I was so worried when it went down. It's like, dude, like we're doing this. Like Gonzaga's so good. Like don't do this. Then yeah. he came back. It's like, okay, fine. I've seen this. Yeah, uh, I'm glad that Jalen Suggs. McBri- McBride was just not as good in the second half came yeah. out pretty well I think well. he went scoreless he, in the second half struggled. actually yeah <laughs> I think it, what, it was 10 in the first yeah 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 I had um I, I was interested to see how that would go for him uh against Gonzaga I think generally he passed like 10 points five assists zero turnovers played really good defense he really fights through those ball screens at a high level um yep was great in their first three games as well in whatever tournament that was. Uh, what, what tournament did they play? I do not have it off the top of my head. 
It was they played uh, everything. Like like oh, they, yeah, like Huggy, you want to Huggy, you want to play? Like yeah, I'm good. Let's go. Let's drive. It, it was it was like, Goodman's bad boy was. event. They won uh, the bad was boy the, event. I was, gonna make the, I was gonna make the bad boy joke, but no. He also hit a couple uh, early. He hit a couple tough shots, contested jumpers too. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I don't know that he's going to be a first round pick. I don't know that he's even going to be a 2021 prospect, but mm-hmm. I, I really, really like Deuce McBride uh, a lot. And we, we went this whole podcast without really talking about Baylor, Illinois, all that much either. No, and, and we have another big one on Saturday with Gonzaga Baylor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm pumped to see that game. I think Baylor is the only team right now that is even in the same stratosphere as Gonzaga. Like, I think that the rest of the teams in college basketball are just not even they're they're not even close to those two uh, at this point. Uh, you know, I you like can, the, the the styles of them too going up together. Like Gonzaga has such good ball movement, and they're such a fun watch. They're unselfish. It's a back cut. It's a it's a ball screen. It's hitting opposite. Spread the ball around, and, and Baylor just wants to punch you in the mouth. Yeah. No, it's great. And you know what? Like yeah. Jared Butler has looked really good so far. Uh, that game against Washington was unbelievable. He was a little bit, um, a little bit like less, slightly less impressive maybe against Illinois, but yeah, that's fair. He was still really good in a game that was really, really tough. Like that was a tight game. Uh, I just watched that this morning. I kind of took a little bit of time. Um, to myself yesterday afternoon, but like he was, he fought through creating tough shots against a defense with Illinois that can really bother you on the perimeter at a high level. Uh, Illinois is the way that they're just going four guards and spreading it out is really, really fun to me. Yeah. I could turn the, the game quickly too, with, with how they want to force you to turnovers. They want to trap. Even Carbello off the bench gave him some good minutes yesterday, too. Like yeah, he was really good. Yeah, I think he had 10 or 11 points. And just He is a little bit small, but he had one play when he drove in and just touched it off to, to Kofi Coburn for an, an easy dunk. He's a, a spark, I would say, to give them a different look, too. I, I like the the pieces that they have. I know you said previously you like them as like a dark horse national champion. I like them as, I don't know it's a dark horse. It's a top five team, but... I'd be surprised they're not right there, the Elite Eight, Final Four. Yeah, I agree. Um, I haven't watched Wisconsin yet, just because you know they no, frankly haven't they're, played they're anyone. The yeah, they yeah. they play tomorrow. They play Marquette, so I'll catch them. Um, and then they play Louisville next week, I believe, as well. Uh, I have not watched Iowa yet because Iowa has not played any real teams yet. They play North Carolina yeah, next week, so I'll catch them next week. But uh, Illinois looks like. A very real tough contender in the Big Ten, and I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah, and, and last night Adam Miller is he's played so well. He struggled last night. He was like two for eleven, but he had he opened with like 28 points. And if you get contributions from from him and Frazier and a little bit more than what you necessarily expected, like they're going to be a tough out. All right, Penny. Uh, I think that we're going to call it there. Do you, uh, you have any other strong takes you need to get off your chest? I don't have strong takes, but I, I did want to make one shout out. I feel as a former walk-on, I, I have to do this. So the benches are all socially distanced, right? It's like three rows 
like you're not on top of each other like a traditional bench. So I just kind of wanted to tip my hat to the guys like Kamaka Hepa on Texas. And last night, the guys in Illinois and Baylor just still keeping the energy at the end of the bench, despite being in the third row and how hard it may be to, to fight through and get you guys going. Did you just but relegate Kamaka guy, Hepa guys, to uh, walk-on status? <laughs> I'm not going to go in. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm saying as energy givers. No, Kamaka Hepa is very good. I think he's redshirting this year, but very good. Oh, man. Man, I love that. Uh, Penny, you're also, uh, you are world renowned as uh, now I would say the second most relevant, uh, walk on in media history, right? Behind, uh, Titus. Who ended my career. Yeah. It's a small world. Yeah. Oh yeah. Titus it's gotta be better walk on. It's, it's, it's gotta be better walk ons, but it's, it's, if I'm the second most relevant on this podcast, it's pretty good. Oh, well, you're, you're certainly the most relevant on this podcast. Uh, this number has 12 been, in your scoreboard, number one in your hearts, yeah. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We'll be back, uh, I don't know, probably later this week. I want to start diving into uh, NBA offseason stuff now that Anthony Davis is finally signed. Uh, and now that the crazy Russell Westbrook and John Wall deal uh, is done... And then following that, the next week, you'll get Robbie Calland and I's win total over unders podcast that we do every year. So we've got some really exciting stuff on the Game Theory podcast coming up. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.